give it a second to cool down. Your coffee, yeah, it's your coffee tends to like get better as it gets colder, <laughs> as it gets older and colder. <laughs> <laughs> Let it sit out a day. <clears throat> Put it out there in the elements for a day, and it'll be fine. Welcome back to this week's episode. We uh, we've been off for a little bit, only because of life, and I think that's just the best way to describe it. Between sick kids and um, just church stuff, and trying to just get through uh, the seasons, and so I, I think when we started this in January, we never imagined it would take us this long. Uh, like we we were doing our twenty fifth episode, but even then, it's like golly. We gotta record something. <laughs> so I think so we're barely like every other week. Yeah. We're doing okay though. I think we're yeah. par for the course ishness. Well, wasn't the plan every week. So we're at like a fifty percent mark. Well, I think we <laughs> we probably ran out of content, I think is what it was. Like we get we get we got to a point where we're like, okay, what do we talk about now? And we need to plan twenty twenty three better. Yeah. Um just I don't know what to even talk about then. <laughs> We'll take the month of December to like figure it out. We started that book Boundaries like three episodes ago and we and haven't quit reading it. it. <laughs> so we're doing great. So if you're still listening to us, thank you so much. Um, uh, if you quit listening to us, you should pick it back up. But you're also not hearing that. So it doesn't really matter. Um, but today is uh, kind of fun. We've got um, Travis's buddy Blake with us and good to have you. Yeah. With us, Blake, you can just talk in the mic whenever you want. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been on a podcast before. It's so super. It's, kinda, it's like, what do I do with my hands and my face? <laughs> and my... Well, the good news is nobody can see it. <laughs> it's so perfect. That makes it a little bit easier. We tried to start this off by doing a video podcast, but Travis got a little bit gun shy on that one. Um, and then he kind of came yeah. around over the last couple of months like, you know, we could. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm not doing it now. Like, okay, <laughs> you lost your chance. Um, There's something about voices too. I mean, I hate the sound of my own voice. That's why I don't have. Well, that's why he doesn't right wear now. headphones. That's why I'm not either. But uh, but there's something about just. I mean, you can put it in the car. You can listen. And there's something like I don't know. You learn more about people from the things that they say sometimes more so than it's kind of what we're talking about with Jaber Crow, um, which is a book by Wendell Berry that I'm working through. But uh, it's like you learn so much about a character and a person by the words that they use, by the uh, the way that they speak, the things that they speak about. And you sometimes it forces you to listen a little bit more carefully because that's all you have to do is to listen. And so you're not seeing facial cues and whatnot. So I don't know. I love it. I, lo- I love that idea. So if you can't tell, Blake's a teacher. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so words are <laughs> words are words por- are money words and are, commodity are important. and important and it's what I use all the time is words. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe, maybe we should start there for. Well, like, should we start there or with coffee? Mm. Where do we start at? Let's let's start with uh, your background. Yeah. Sort of family life, what you do. Yeah. And then <laughs> you can work coffee into yeah, we'll work that, way it'll, and then we'll come back show to talking up. about the cup. Yeah, for for sure, it'll show up. Um, so. Yeah, uh, I, I am a teacher. I teach uh, middle school social studies in Center ISD, or as I, I said that and enunciated because oftentimes when I say the real name and the way that you say it, which is Center, people think Center, uh, center like saints and sinners. I'm like, Saint. no, Center, like Center. the center, center of the world. <laughs> well, it's, like but, uh, when they, it's like when they say it's Tenahaw, but if you yeah, go tinny, to Tenahaw and you try to say Tenahaw, that, that, that's yeah. Tenahaw. That's Tenahaw. Tenahaw. <laughs> yeah. I didn't so. know there was two N's and a Y in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I grew up from around there. I was born in Knack, um, but then I lived my whole life in uh, in Center, 
And so, and then I graduated from uh, Shelbyville, which is uh, Cheville. And <laughs> she, 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 and so yeah it's like, like Chevelle, it's one syllable all uh, that. <laughs> a three syllable word becomes one and so uh <laughs> words are important words are words important, are important right? guys. Uh, i am a teacher i'm teaching the youth of, of, of america you're welcome and <laughs> that's why i'm not an english teacher let me uh i teach history <laughs> oh yeah in social studies so uh but um, no, I do that. Um, graduated from there, went to SFA, and then um, I actually just finished my master's uh, from Lamar. So I haven't graduated Fantastic. yet, but I finished all my assignments, so that counts. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. I will graduate in December uh, with my master's in educational administration and leadership and uh, with my principal certification as well. And so I do that, um, but we homeschool our kids. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's a, that is a quite a story, um, but... It's, it's one of those things like right now, this is my mission field. Um, it's one of those things that, uh, the kids that I interact with on a day to day basis, most of the time they make me want to pull my hair out and, uh, make me question my job and why I'm doing this. But then there's those moments that come that are like, this, this is why I'm doing it. Like when a kid is going through this awful stuff that, you know, they're never going to set foot in a church. They're never going to interact with somebody who's a Christ follower and to see you and your faith and walk and they even come like I've had students come to me and say, You're you're a Christian, aren't you? And I'm like, Yes, I would love to talk about that. Because, you know, when they come to you, that's a whole some of the establishment clause issues and things like that, like go out the door and you're able to have a, a more, you know, free conversation with them. And to like I don't just proselytize, but if the moment calls for it, then like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak truth to a kid that yeah. I've built a relationship with. Yeah. And I mean, so I know off yeah. air we've talked a lot about some of your frustrations with the whole public school world but yeah <laughs> as a youth minister like knowing that 90 plus percent of the kids that are in the youth room on wednesday mm-hmm. night go to public school like it makes me so thankful um i don't think any of my kids go to center but yeah uh, just that there yeah. are people like you in the public school space yeah so, and and that's and, and it's true, like, because I see that from my, my perspective, too. And so the days that it's like, man, I'm ready to throw my hands up and quit. <laughs> yeah. It, which is which is often, I'm not going to lie. Um, but I'm, like I said, it's the, I think of my students and, and I'm very <laughs> relational. Like relationships is something that I love, um, something that I really feel like I do well in is that I build trust really easily with people. And so I use that trust building in, the, in my skill set, my kind of disposition to really really quickly early on build these relationships with my students so that they get to know me, I get to know them, and then I get to be able to speak into their life in a way that other people don't because I'm with them. Like granted, I have 135 students, which is a lot. I have more students than anybody, I think, in the whole middle school. You have more um, students than most churches. It, yeah. And but so but it's like I get those kids for 45 minutes. And so it's it's really amazing the things that you get to learn and the things that you get to speak. Like I you know I got to pull a kid out of my hall and was like, hey like, I know you, you're better than this. Like, what's going on? And so he opens up. He's like, this is what I'm dealing with right now. Like, this is what I'm going on, uh, going on at home. And I'm able to speak truth into his life and say, like, I know you. Like, I know that you're wanting to walk with Jesus and because he's professed that to me. And it's like, so here's some things that you can do. We can talk through and work through together because you're dealing with the situation. And so when I think of it that way, it's like it makes sense because for my kids, I want what's like an educator wants what's best for their students. And so for me, what's best for my kids, we believe is to homeschool. And so for the kids that don't have that type of education, 
where it's really hands-on, relational, and so forth, I want to provide that for them to give them an opportunity to build relationships with people where sometimes you're, and most of the time, you're the only person that's in their corner fighting for them and rooting for them. And so that's kind of, that's what kind of led me to get my master's too was this whole walk of obedience thing. Like it was not on my radar. I wanted to go to seminary. God said, nope. And, <laughs> and he was like, some of my, my principals and people I work with were like, Hey, you need to do this. And I was like, no way. And my grandma was like, Hey, you should be an administrator. I'm like, no way. I'm the one like, you couldn't pay me all the money in the world oh, to be yeah. a principal. And, but then as I prayed about it and it opened up, it was like, okay, this is my next step because I, I really, I thought about it. It's like, if I, I don't want to do public school forever. I don't want to be a principal, like maybe an AP, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I don't want to be the head dog. Like I was summer school principal this past summer and I loved it. Um, and I got to see the, that relational side expound like exponentially. And so, which was cool because the thing that I really love to do invest in people in my teachers and in my students, I got to do it a whole nother level. Cause that's literally most of what I did the whole day, um, every day. And so I love that. And like the breaking up of monotony and not being in this, you know, every day is the same. Like it was, I had structure, structured unstructure. And I love that. Mm. Um, but, um, I prayed about it and it made sense. And I was like, if I go into vocational ministry, which I still want to do in the future, my degree is a master's of education and administration and leadership. Like I've just been trained to be a leader of people. And so it, it's not a wasted degree if I still go that route. And so that was like the kicker for me. I was like, okay, God, like, I don't know what you're doing with this, but I trust you. And so I'm going to step forward and walk in obedience and go from there. So that's, that's well, that. And the interesting <laughs> thing about that too is because when, cause that was one of the things we've both been looking at, like where do we further our degree programs? And, you know, he's kind of honed in on where he feels like he's going. I'm still kind of honing in. I think I know where I want to go, but the reality is like where, which school do like, I want to try to, look into, but one of the degree programs I've run across a lot is those educational doctorates mm -hmm. of ministry. So yeah. you can still even go like that route yep. and that would even prepare you to do like the administrative part of like private Christian schools or private Christian universities yeah. and things like that. And so I think even still like yeah. you got it now, but you, that, that yeah. door could open even wider because growing up, like you're going to college at a small Christian university, like that is that's a huge deal. Like knowing that all the faculty there at least has some relationship with Jesus. You don't <laughs> yeah. know like the depth yeah. of that relationship, but you know that it's okay for you to talk to them about that. You know, just having that atmosphere is, yeah. is unique. And there's a lot of schools out there like that. So yeah, there's always that option. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What about, you mentioned your kids and yeah. Anna, like what about your home life a little yeah, bit? Absolutely. So, uh, what about your yeah, home uh, life? <laughs> that's <laughs> turned into it's a so counseling funny. session all of a sudden. Tell me about your home life. Well, it's, it's funny though, because for uh, the people listening that don't know you, they probably don't <laughs> only care that you teach social we're studies. We're all sitting here in chairs and chase lounges and we're just kind of, yeah, it's, well, it's funny because, uh, that obviously like, this is my most important thing. I think I just said that cause it's so fresh right now. And it's yeah. like, I'm coming off of like, this is my week off of, of work. And then I'm also done with school officially. So anyways, uh, but no, I've been married uh, to my best friend, Anna, for seven years. Uh, October was seven years. And we have two beautiful kids, uh, Jovi, Amani, who is, uh, she'll be five the day after Christmas. And awesome. then, uh, yeah, it was, that, that was fun. And then, uh, <laughs> and then Joshua, who will be four in January, uh, January 18th. And so, 
Yeah, we have uh, two kids that are less than 13 months apart. Uh, not quite Irish twins, but they're pretty close. Uh, like I said, <laughs> December 26th and uh, uh, January 18th. So pretty crazy um, that they were that close uh, together and neither of them were planned. But I mean, kids are a blessing. Kids really are. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, but it, but it's so amazing. Like at the time, like we were like, we wanted to wait five years and just really get to know each other well and and whatnot and and do all this traveling and and then it's like here we are we're seven years in and we got a five and a four-year-old basically and but i wouldn't change a thing because it was in the season that like i i was teaching and then god was like no you need to quit teaching and pursue ministry and so i went and did uh college ministry at the university of oklahoma for two years and right before we decided or found out that we were moving from texas where we've been our whole life uh, cause my wife grew up in, uh, St. Augustine. And so, which is where we live now. And <laughs> it was like moving from our little bubble to Oklahoma in the middle of nowhere and, uh, in Norman, which is super flat, no pine trees. And yep. it's, it's totally different. Um, we found out like the month or we found out at the end of February, beginning of March that we were moving there. And then we found out in the middle of March that we were pregnant with our first. <laughs> so it was like, Oh man. Okay. <laughs> like all the new all chapters, all the new chapters, <laughs> all the and, transitions. <laughs> and what was funny is, is that we, uh, when I graduated from SFA 2015, I was praying about what to do and I wanted to do ministry right away. Like my undergrads in history, minor in secondary ed, but I got it because I loved history and I was like, I just going to get a degree so I could just go do ministry. <laughs> and, uh, so that's what I did. And I was like, okay, now that I'm about, I'm graduating, I'm about to get married. So that was August of 2015, I graduated. And then I started a teaching job that same, like really before I graduated and then was getting married in October. And we prayed about it beforehand. It was like, okay, we're, we're graduating, we're getting married, we're starting life together and getting a new job, all these transitions. And I prayed about it. And I said, you know, I think I'm going to limit transitions right now. And so I'm going to teach because if we go into ministry, we're probably going to move somewhere. We're probably going to be move off, and that's another transition. And and let's let's not let's you know. And so a teaching job fell into my lap, and I took that. And it was funny because a year and a half later, God was like, "Okay, now it's time for you to do ministry, and I want you to quit your teaching job." And that's a story for another day. It's pretty long, but long story short, is that uh, God was like, "Okay, I want you to step out in obedience and trust me, and give up control." And the control that you think that you have, but you really don't anyway, like it's all me. And, but I want you to hand that over and relinquish it to me. And so I was like, okay, God, and did came back, uh, told my principal that I was wanting to leave and not teach anymore and didn't know that that was my two weeks notice. <laughs> it ended up being my two weeks notice. And they, uh, were like a, your teaching certificate's going to be held against you because you can't just leave your teaching assignment. And I was like, I, I'm doing what I feel like God's called me to do. I don't know. And people in administration were telling me, don't listen. They're not going to take your, they're not going to take your certificate away because you're doing what God has told you to do. And it was just this piece that I had and they found somebody and put them in my position like three days later and, <laughs> or like the next week. And then they never, held my certification against me and which was great because I ended up coming back to teach. But in that time, it was literally like we, I quit my job. We, uh, I started working for a plant nursery out in Douglas, which was pretty cool. Um, it's, it's weird how everything comes back full cycle because now I live on a plant nursery, a different one. <laughs> so interesting. Uh, it's God has a sense of humor. Uh, but 
in that time, we quit. And then we found out we were moving, starting a new job, ministry, moving to Oklahoma, and then pregnant with our first. <laughs> so all the transitions that I attempted to run away from, God yeah. was like, I'm just going to postpone that. <laughs> and I'm going to let you still do it because it ended up being a crucible for me that formed me more than any other moment in my life. Like my wife and I learned how to parent together. We learned really what it means to be husband and wife in that time and to not have outside influences. Like family is amazing and we love our family, but it was us. Like we made the decisions. We were like, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to parent? How are we going to live our life? And then when we came back to Texas two years later with both of our kids being born, uh, which, you know, again, <laughs> in the midst of all that, here's, you know, here's your second kid too. And, uh, <laughs> and so we come back and it's like, we, we don't have all the answers, but we know what is us. Like we right. know, like, no, these are the things that we firmly have put in place in the way that we want to live our life and our lifestyle. And so it was really cool because I think in that time we matured and God matured us more than any other moment. But it was me trying to run from that in the first place, but it ended up being what was best for us. So, oh, yeah. Well, that's, I think that's the, the neat part about all of that because I think each one of us, we have like those, those different stories of how God transitions us into family. And like my wife and I did the things like what you were talking about. We waited five years before we even considered uh, children. And part of that, I think, was just a growth process for us. Like you have to make sure that you're in a spot and in a season, and we were, uh, you know, vocational ministry isn't always as as glamorous, I say, mm -hmm. as glamorous as you can kind of see. Like we, I think that even like Travis and I here, we have it fairly simple. Uh, not any conflict. There's, I mean, you might have some people that ruffle your feathers, but for the most part, it's not like you've got a whole church that's against you or, I mean, people like us here. So for here, I would say that even ministry here is fairly simple for us. But then those guys, man, that are busting their tails trying to make it happen and they're struggling all the time. So mm. with my wife and I, we knew that vocational ministry, either one or the other, like you're either going to have it fairly simple or you're going to be going through some seasons that are just kind of mm. rough. And uh, so we wouldn't be able to kind of grow and, and experience, I think, that together. And we did, but we started with the rough one. And then we came into the simple one. So that kind of helped us out. We flip-flopped a little bit there. Um, yeah. But, you know, then then family kind of stuff. And so now, I mean, I'm 38, and I won't tell you her age. But, uh, and she's kind of all this like, oh, what if we did five kids? And I'm like, what if you found another husband and did another kid? Because this husband is tired. <laughs> so I've always told her, though, I've said, look, if you find another, if you find a, a she always jokes around she's like well i'm gonna i'm gonna call my boyfriend antonio and he can he can leave before you come home she always makes that joke i'm like i tell oh. her this i said listen <laughs> listen if he's got enough cash for the both of us i don't care i'm just tired at this point <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of throws those defenses down and she's like shut up <laughs> so um, i don't think she expects that from me sometimes but but it is i mean we're like i said we're 38 and however old she is and you know we're we're four kids in, and our youngest is three months. He'll be four months oh, here in wow, just a couple yeah. of weeks, and so so you are tired. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're not and, getting sleep. Yeah, things. I mean, things don't operate the way that they used to when I was young. But um, but it is it is neat hearing people's stories about how God grows them, shapes them, and molds them, even through times where you're like, okay, this is not what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what I like about the story of, of the teaching aspect because we do a lot of. 
I say we do. We used to do a lot of support within our local school systems here, not so much for the kids, because I think the kids, the kids get a lot of resources thrown at them. Oh yeah, constantly. I mean, constant from the school or from the county or it's from, overwhelming yeah, to yeah, some yeah. degree. Sometimes it's a little overkill, but and as teachers, overstimulating. as teachers, sometimes you guys get the shaft. Mm-hmm. Like you have to provide the extra supplies, you have to provide the extra support, you yeah. have to. Be, and then on the flip side, I've always heard, uh, especially like pastors and youth pastors and stuff, they'll be like, well, our kids need to be in public schools because especially Christian kids, because they're missionaries on a mission field. And I'm like, but are they really trained to do that? And so for us, I think that's where our position's always been. Well, but the teachers that are believers should be trained to be the missionaries on campus. So how do we support them? Like, how do we, how do we give them kind of those resources? So what are some things like, like, is there any churches or anything like that that kind of come alongside you guys there in center as teachers and just kind of say, Hey, man, we want to support you guys. We want to help you guys out. I know. Um, I know that first Baptist center (laughs) does a lot of things because I think, um, our superintendent and his wife, uh, go there. And so they, they host a a number of things and try to do some things here and there throughout the year to kind of give some, um, show some love to teachers and whatnot. And I know one of my, uh, one of my coworkers who's on my sixth grade team, he's actually, he's a pastor of uh, center Christian fellowship and he, they do some stuff as well. And, but, but I mean, really like I have not seen a, a real emphasis on, Hey, this is how you walk with Jesus in your day-to-day job as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not really seen that too much. And I think it's because this idea of like spiritual formation and apprenticeship and like the spiritual disciplines um, is starting to trickle into the idea of like churches in East Texas. Cause I saw it a lot more when I was in Norman, uh, the churches that we partnered with uh, when I was doing uh, campus pastor stuff up there. And when we came back, um, cause like we, we go to Fredonia Hill and uh, pastor Kendall does a lot of, talking about spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation and apprenticeship to Jesus. And a lot of these ideas of like Dallas Willard and Richard Foster have kind of resurrected from church history, really. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. looking at how the churches follow Jesus historically and implementing practices that build our ability and capacity to meet with Jesus on a consistent day-to-day basis. And for teachers at my school, I don't think we really know how to do that because there's not there's not that type of support of like hey you're in the trenches day in and day out and dealing with stuff that makes you want to pull your hair out or where you feel at a loss or even with your own personal relationship with Jesus of how do you cope how do you work through stress how do you work through just coming in day in and day out and showing love to these kids when it's sometimes hard and impossible to do um I don't see that. And yeah. so that's why I think the idea and why I originally wanted to get go to seminary to get like a spiritual formation type degree because that's something that's always fascin- that's fascinated me for years now is how do you help people that are in like what you would call secular, like more just ordinary jobs, like right. a teacher or a doctor or, a, you know, whatever it might be. Like how do you live your life in that capacity, in that context well to point people to Jesus or to even for yourself to stay centered in Christ to the point that's like, you're doing life with him. Like it's yeah. in, and that's something that like, I think that's why the idea of drawing towards administration and being like 
a leader of teachers, a teacher of teachers is to help them. Cause I have a lot of my team that are professing Christians and are at different varying, you know, places on that spectrum. Um, but to, to really say, okay, this is what it looks like to live out your job well, uh, for the kingdom. And this is how you stay close to Christ where your job is your worship. Like your yeah. job is literally like Romans 12, like, do not be conformed by this world, you know, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. But before that, it says, you know, to your body is, you know, to sacrifice your body, to sacrifice really your work, your life as worship that is holy and acceptable to God. And so for us, like as teachers, we can worship God day in, day out and not, you know, get all the data right or get all the test scores right. Or it's not about it. Like if you're building relationships with your kids, the kingdom, and you're doing that in in a way that honors the Lord, then it's worship. Yeah. But teachers, we, we're not, there's no one alongside us saying, hey, this is what it looks like and encouraging on, encouraging us on in that. So I think this was at like the end of 2018, early 2019. Um, I personally wasn't in a very good place. I was like finishing seminary, had been working two jobs, was just burned out both intellectually and like physically from working long hours. And you were the one who gave me the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry yeah. by John Mark Comer. Um, and then that started a whole avalanche of reading people like oh, yeah. Willard and Foster <laughs> and um, several books that you've recommended to me. And I remember one conversation we had, um, you were you know, a year or two into reading a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff at this point, but you said something like, you felt like this was the other half of the gospel that people... Yes that the church didn't talk about. Yeah. You remember that? I do remember that. What yeah. did you mean by that statement? Cause when yeah. I first heard it, like the other half, I <laughs> yeah. thought we were about to get yeah. like, no, not you know, real <laughs> legalistic. Yeah. Yeah. Like how do you yeah. earn it? Or like my heresy I, flag is waving. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that's not what you meant. That's not what I and meant. And I no. agree with you yeah. now, but for yes. the average church member who probably hasn't, heard a whole lot about spiritual formation. Yeah. Like that sounds weird to them or whatever. We're talking about spiritual disciplines and if they think like just read your Bible and pray, it's like, yes, yeah. those are two, but like expound on that idea a little bit more. Yeah. Like, what and do you I mean think, by those things? And I think, yeah, I think we need a definition for sure. And so like what I mean by spiritual formation and spiritual discipline. So the disciplines are literally, it's, it's, you know, it's a habit, it's a practice. It's something that you do, but the church for, I mean, ages, I mean, since its beginning, since its birth, had basic disciplines in place. Things like, I mean, a discipline doesn't have to be this complex ritual thing. It's like literally reading scripture is a discipline. Uh, prayer is a discipline. Uh, fasting is a discipline. But it's it's this idea of structuring your life in a way around key habits and practices that allow you to meet with the resurrected savior, like meeting with Jesus on a day-to-day basis in your life. And so it's not like happenstance of, Oh, I'll read my Bible when I get to it. Like the idea of the quiet time, which was really big for, you know, especially in, in Baptist churches for a while. Like, did you have a quiet time? Did you have a quiet time? But it's even more than that because the point is not the practice itself. The point is being able to meet 
with Jesus, being able to have a consistent time. And even if you don't have this profound like revelation of, oh, like the spirit spoke to me or I got this, you know, really this prayer was answered in this time. Like it may just be a time of silence. Like that's another one of the practices of the disciplines is sitting in silence and solitude for the purpose of learning how to discern God's voice or learning how to just sit still and let your mind think about who Christ is so that his word becomes, a, I mean, it's, it's a renewal by your mind. That spiritual formation is becoming like Christ. It's practices that you do to help you become more and more like Jesus in a day-to-day basis. And so literally it's like the whole, you know, what would Jesus do? It's really, what would Jesus do if he were me? <laughs> and it sounds weird. When I first read that, I was like, that sounds kind of weird. Like, what would Jesus do if he were me? Because he's the God of the universe and the one who created all things by the word of his mouth. Like that's strange for me to make that statement. But the point of it is, is if Jesus had my life, if he had my family, if he had my job, if he had, you know, whatever it was that my context, how would he live it? Because we've, we've kind of removed. And what I mean by the, you know, the second half of the gospel is that we oftentimes hear the emphasis on being saved, you know, accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior and, you know, repenting of our sins, turning to him, believing and confessing that he is Lord. And, and it stops there. We hear discipleship, but oftentimes that's just, you know, get plugged into a small group or get plugged into Sunday school or, you know, read your Bible, you know, daily and have your little five minute quiet time and check off the box. But what I mean by the second half of the gospel is that, the gospel is holistic in that that moment is not a one, one and done. Like, yes, we, we believe and we confess and the work is done, but sanctification is a lifelong process. And so I think we've missed the idea that we can actually, and the goal and what God wants for us is to not stay in that place, but to actually become more and more like Jesus. And we've lost that, that it's like, it's actually not that, complete perfection in Christ likeness where I'll never sin again. Cause first John's clear on that. Like is, you know, he used without sin is a liar. Um, and so, um, but like what, what's beautiful about it is, is that it's meant to be holistic. And so we can actually become like the teacher. And so those practices, those disciplines, you know, going out for an hour even and just saying, I'm going to go out in the woods. Like, and it's, this is what's cool. This is, you know, East Texas friends will love this. My, my wife hunts my, you know, my whole family hunts and, and whatnot on her side. And, and, uh, I've, I don't yet because I grew up fishing, <laughs> but what's cool about spiritual disciplines is being in the deer stand for an hour or two hours or whatever can be a spiritual discipline. <laughs> like it's, you can go and hunt and sit in silence and peace in a prayerful posture and say, I'm spending this time with the Lord and even saying, Hey God, I really want a big buck to walk out right now. Like, <laughs> dear Lord. Yeah. Dear Lord. <laughs> but, but, but it's like, that is, that's a spiritual discipline, believe it or not. Like <laughs> your silence and solitude in prayer. Like, and so, I mean, it can be simple. Like you can live your life in such a way that you're washing the dishes and you're doing it as an act of service to your spouse. But as you're doing it, you're just talking with God like that. Yeah. That's something. And it's not, it doesn't have to be this, you know, every minute of my life I'm speaking to God and, and like, I'm this holy person. It's, but it's, you learn the practice of just consistency and showing up. It's like any other relationship. And so those practices, we've lost that idea that 
we can actually be shaped and formed by the gospel in our day-to-day actions and habits. Right. And that's the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you frame it in just like seminary theological language, the the half that the church focuses on is justification, right? Like yes. getting saved. But then we've had very little to say about sanctification. Yes. Um, well, and, I think that we've said a lot about sanctification, but I think it's been more packaged as a program than it has been. Yes. Either a program or political or like do your yeah. part, be a good person. Kind of like what he was saying, like yeah. discipleship is, oh, we'll get, get plugged into a Sunday school class or a small group or, okay, we're going to do a 24 hour day of prayer and fasting, you know? And so and that's it's like, none of that's, it's events, it's moments. Yeah. That, and that's it's compartmentalized and, events. Yes, it is. It's, it's events, it's moments, it's, it's one here or once a week or, but it's not a lifestyle of, I'm going to set my life. It's called, and, and so this is where we get into the more of the technical terms, but it's what's called a, um, a rule of life or a regalis, or it's a, it's a rule comes from that word. And what it means is it's like a structure. It's like a trellis. Like, so you have a trellis, if you're, you know, growing grapes or whatever, it's going to grow on the structure itself. The habits are the structure, the way that you structure your life to where it's, I'm, I'm not just going to meet Jesus by happenstance. Like, yes, Jesus meets us by happenstance because he's the God of the universe. He shows up in, in oftentimes the unexpected places, but we can structure our life in such a way that it's structured and centered upon these disciplines that routinely give me the availability to meet with him on a more consistent basis and to be formed by him because we know that his word is living and active sharper than any two edged sword. And that it's, you know, can penetrate bone and marrow and, and discern between our thoughts and all that. But are we actually opening up our lives in a way where we're Romans 12 too, like where we be transformed by the renewal of our mind? How do we do that? We have to live our life in such a way that's centered upon the, the very things that Jesus himself did and taught his disciples to do, which was, Hey, look at me as I live life. And as I go out onto the mountaintop and pray in silence and solitude, or as I fast and pray here in the desert and come back in like, those, those, you know, the, the Aramos, the desert, the mm-hmm. wilderness, those places where it's, it's you and God, but it's formative. Like, I think, it, I think that it's a, it, the idea of it comes from, like I said, it's not going to be just happenstance. You can't just expect it formation to happen for you to become like Christ without having things in place that aren't just these one check off events or these, you know, it's every day I'm creating a a routine and a habit and a trellis to help the vine of becoming like Christ grow and, and kind of weed its way into every area of my life. I don't remember when that phrase rule of life came into play in church history. I know it was some point during the monastic period, or at least yeah. I think it was, but that idea of a rule isn't like rules to follow, no. but that idea of a trellis um, to help the vine grow to produce more fruit goes back to John 15. Yes. With Jesus saying like, I am the vine, you are the branches. Um, yeah, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah. You will bear no fruit. So yeah. that idea of structuring your life, you know, not just on Sundays, but every day of the week so that you are connected to him and will bear more and more fruit over time. Yeah. Um, could we maybe get like practical for someone who like, maybe they have a quiet time, but like what are other 
like you even mentioned, like going to the deer stand or washing dishes or something. But yeah. like, um, I know Sabbath is a really big one for you yeah. or like any specific discipline you want to sort of yeah. explain so like for me. And I've gotten, I've gotten bad at, and this is what's cool about the rule of life or like structuring your life around disciplines is that they're going to change and they're meant to change. They're not meant to be like a season will change and you have to reevaluate like what habits and what practices and what things that you do to meet with God. And and so like I'm coming off of the end of my master's and it's like, I almost feel like I have to like reevaluate everything because it's like now my mind mm. is just so frantic. So I noticed that like a big thing for me on Sabbath is to turn my phone off and keep it off on Sabbath because the idea of like turning my phone off, I'm always on my phone for work or for school or checking email or whatever. And it's like, I I've noticed as I've finished my master's, I've slipped back into well, like yesterday I'm looking up stuff on Google or, you know, looking up n- new things to buy with whatever, you know, and it's, it's so I can, it pulls away from my thought life. And so like for me right now, it's like, okay, I got to reevaluate, got to go back. And that's a hard for me. Like, is I have to turn my phone off on Sabbath so that I can just be free to be present in the moment. And so like start small is, is really what I say. Like pick one or two disciplines of things that maybe one that you're comfortable with, like Bible reading. And instead of just saying, okay, I'm going to, you know, read my Bible each day, like schedule a time and a place of like, okay, I really know that this is a good time for me. Maybe it's early in the morning before anybody wakes up and say, I'm going to make a cup of coffee and I'm going to sit at the table or in my favorite chair next to the window. Or, you know, if, if you like this kind of thing and go out and make a little fire outside and sit by the fire, have a warm cup of coffee and read your Bible there. And like just something that, you know, doesn't have to be super special. doesn't have to be this like super sacred experience, but like do something that eliminates distractions and it's consistent. Like it's, I'm going to show up at this time almost every day and not, not for the sake of being legalistic of like, I'm checking off the box but sometimes in the beginning, it may feel that way. And that's okay. <laughs> it's like, it's okay if you feel like, well, I just feel like I'm just going through the motions. Like your heart will catch up to that. Like that's the point is you have to create the space for your affections and your desires for Christ to grow. So you just show up, <laughs> like just show up. Um, and so do that. And then maybe one that you're not as comfortable with, like maybe fasting is hard for you. Like, and this is, I'm talking to myself right now because fasting is hard for me. <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, maybe pick one that you want to be challenged and say, okay, I'm going to fast once a week at this time. And just as a, as a, Hey God, I want to meet with you and I want to take my relationship with you seriously. And so I'm, I'm venturing out and trying this, or maybe it's Sabbath. Maybe you've never done that. And for people who don't know, it's just really, it's a time where you set apart a whole day for rest and worship. So work, things that cause anxiety or like maybe, like me, I'm a teacher. So for my Sabbath, I don't get on my computer and I don't get on my phone because I'm on those all the time, checking email, you know, responding to people or with school, like with my masters, I'm always typing things. So on that day, it's set apart because I'm not doing that work and it's not even on. And so I feel my body able to slow down and enjoy just playing with my kids on the floor or, you know, having a conversation with my wife and, or reading a good book or, you know, those things then become worship because I'm doing it out of an act of rest and trust. Cause it's, I don't have to work today to make a living because I'm trusting in the sovereignty of God. So yes, I can sit on the couch in my pajamas and read a book and drink coffee and have fun or, I can go to the back of the nursery and shoot my new gun and, you know, and, and, and 
thank God for the little things. Like it sounds silly to some, but it's like yesterday I was shooting my new 22 and it's like, thank you God for this gun. Like it's, it's fun to shoot. It's I'm enjoying this with you. And it was just me and him. Like, and that's one of those things, like when you have that type of relationship with the Lord, almost anything then can become a practice or a discipline because literally, like I said, you can go to the deer stand and say, okay, God, it's me and you out in the wilderness in silence, like reveal your truth to me. You know, let's have this moment, let it be sweet. And, and that's, that's what I love about the disciplines because the advice, like the advice I have to give is just, it's simple. Just do it. Just be consistent. Like, yes, it may feel legalistic in the beginning and it may feel like I'm just doing this because I'm supposed to do it. But again, your, your heart will catch up. And as you do it more, it becomes these center points in your day to where you can turn back to like my wife just started because she wanted to grow in prayer. She's been struggling in it. Um, she sets a timer every hour it goes off and she turns the alarm off, sets a timer for a minute and prays for a minute. That's it. But what she's learned is that as it happens, it's trained her to be more prayerful throughout the day. So when stress comes with, you know, being with the kids or cooking or all the other million things that are going on, it's, it's a, every hour there's a stopping point to say, it's like a mini Sabbath of like, I'm just going to stop and trust the Lord. And yes, I may be in the middle of dishes or maybe in the middle of laundry, but that's okay. I can stop and pray. And so those things set us up to where we can meet with God. And I love that you said that that's like (laughs) one minute. Yeah. Right. Like I'm we're not, not saying, yeah, you don't have to go on like a silent retreat for a week. Like, yeah, don't be like one Luther minute and three hours in the <laughs> yeah, middle but, of the night. And uh, it's probably like if you do that, like one minute, let's say you do a 12 hour day on yeah. that. So every you got 12 minutes of prayer a yeah. day, it's awkward in church, like congregational yeah. time to set aside like three minutes of just about that silence and people get uncomfortable. And it's just, yeah. it's so interesting to me. It's like, okay, well just then just break it up yeah. into little, little pieces, yeah. you know? So, and I'm glad you said that. Cause like, I haven't done this in a while because of <laughs> mm-hmm. my masters and it's just been weird. Cause I've had to do different things in my routine, but, um, I would, I would set a timer early in the morning for prayer time. And part of what I would do is I would set it. I started off, I set it, I set it for like three minutes, Yeah. but I would set it for three minutes and just sit in silence and I'd have a notebook in front of me. And so when like a thought would come to mind of like, Oh, I need to do this today. I'd write it down and then like, let it go on. And so that way I'm like, okay, God, I'm just focused on you right now. Like, I just want to contemplate you and just sit in silence for the sake of trust. Like I'm not even trying to get anything from you. I'm not trying to have all my answers solved. I'm not trying to get all, you know, this great revelation. It's just simply, I just want to be with you. So I'm going to sit in silence. And so as a time went on, I would increase the increment. So I got up to like 10 minutes. And when I first did 10 minutes, it felt like forever. I like one point glance is like, surely it's been 10 minutes. <laughs> and and it's, that's what's funny too, is like God knows your heart. And it's like, and it's not like this, Ooh, I, I know you're not actually present right now with me because you're thinking about, is it done yet? Um, but what I found is, as I kept coming back, 10 minutes would pass and the timer would go off. I'm like, I'm not done. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, like that was 10 minutes. Like that felt like two, but it, it's, it's a, it's a training thing of like what you, you learn to love that time because I think too, with this culture, and this is, I think is a really important thing to note is that feelings are like everything like, oh, I feel this. And we do that with yeah. church. We're like, I want this experience. I want like, what'd you get out of church today? And I do that. And I ask my wife that, and it's like, and I stop myself sometimes. It's like, okay, I got to change that question. So I started changing it to like, okay, what did you learn today? Like what, like, where did you notice God today? Where, 
And because when you say like, what'd you get out of it? Like, what'd you think? Did you enjoy mm-hmm. it? Did you, and that's what we do. Um, but with disciplines, it's tempting to chase the experience because every now and then you'll have those sweet moments where it's like, I really feel God's presence. Yeah. But I'll tell you, like in my past two years, and I talked to Travis about this not too long ago, um, there was one moment, this was probably a month ago, where I was in the car listening to a new album and um, I played it and there was a song that came on and it was just like very perfect fitting to the season that I'm in. And I just wept and it felt like God was sitting in the passenger side with me and just like being there as a good father. And I felt his presence. And that morning before I had heard his voice bring up scripture to me. And it was like very, very evident that God was speaking to me. And, and I know in, you know, in our Baptist circles, sometimes that sounds weird. Uh, but (laughs) it's, but it's one of those things that like, like, it was, God brought scripture to mind, but it was, is it was not this, you know, the voices, you know, the heavens opened up and this audible voice was there, but I knew God was speaking to me. Like it was very evident. And I wept yeah. during that time too. And so it's like, that's probably two times in the past two, three years that I've had those moments and I have like these different disciplines in place. And so, yes, God gives us those experiences, but it's not the experience that we chase. It's the, it's the relationship and the fact that we get to meet with the God of the universe and he's shaping and forming us. Mm-hmm. So it moves past culture's tendency to say, hey, you need this experience. Like you need to meet with God and have this goosebump moment where the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you have butterflies and you just, you know, it's no, like that happens, but not often. Right. <laughs> and that's okay. Like, cause, because God is smart (laughs) and he knows that if he gave us an experience each time we would get high off the experience because that's our human nature and so (laughs) and i think that's true i think that's part of the the nature of churches too is this idea to continue to give people an experience the only downside to that is that and we talk about this i think even like travis and i talk about it that you know if if this is the experience that people have well guess what that bar is going to continue to move Oh, yeah. So churches, we have to always, churches that base themselves off of that experiential, like, time, how do you get bigger? How do you, you get? <laughs> you're never, yeah, you yeah. never stop yeah. because experience yeah. just keeps moving. Yeah. But when you start getting back to stripping it down and just saying, what about just that relational level? Like, where does that exist? And that's what we try to tell people. Like, I tell people all the time, I'm like, you may come to like our church and it, it will be completely different from anything that you ever had. But the desire and our goal is not that you can come and that be your meat for the week. Like our desire and our goal is for you to be able to come and build that relationship with the continual body so that you can Mm -hmm. be encouraged and edified to continue to do the process that you're already doing throughout the week. And I think that's where... And that's a practice. Right. (laughs) And that's a practice. And, and, And being at church is a part of that. But I think too, churches have gotten away from, from really focusing on the part of being that edification and encouragement into the lives of the individual where now it's like, well, we've got to be able to have, you know, 10 guitars, 20 drums, uh, 17 multi-tracks, and then five smoke machines, you know? And it's just like, so they, they put the emphasis on the, that one hour, hour and a half experience instead of on the, how do we teach our people how to encourage and edify other people, help them to continue to grow in their relationship? Because last week they were doing great, but this week family passed yeah. away. Kids have been terrible. Uh, life has kind of hit them. Bills have come in and, and they come into that Sunday and they're like, I want to quit. Yeah. You know, last Sunday I'm, I'm 100% on fire for the Lord this Sunday life sucks and I want to quit. And I think that that's the thing that churches really need to 
kind of morphed back to is how do we build that relationship so when people come in it's the practices and the disciplines yeah. and the yeah. <laughs> well and I think so. it's I think that's why a lot of churches are seeing kind of a resurgence in people interested in liturgy. Yeah. Or like the, yes. the simple like getting away from the mega church vibe. Um because it's like I'm not just coming to get something out of this. Like I'm coming because it is a practice because like just because it's the right thing to do. Um, yeah. and I don't need, you know, the smoke and the mirrors and the four electric guitar solos and it's like, like the, yeah. the the dude at the end of Wizard of Oz sitting there. <laughs> 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 um, that, okay, well, we can, I mean, because you, you hit on a lot of the high marks that I think that Travis and I talk about regularly because I, I remember reading uh, Foster when I was in college and then getting turned to Willard and even like Thomas Merton and yeah. some of those guys, you know. Uh, you start getting into the monks and people start freaking out. They're like, what? But, uh, yeah, but there's a lot of good stuff to, uh, to glean from there. And, and, and I always tell people this, even if you're listening, you're like, well, I'm going to listen to one of those. Read it with a grain of salt. I always tell people, whatever you read, yeah. read it with a grain of salt just because it's there, there's going to be some things in there you may go, and that's okay because there may be something in there where you go, oh. And so you just kind of have to, to gauge that. But uh, okay. Let's talk about other things in your life. Yeah. <laughs> like mainly coffee. I mean, I think yeah. that's the, the, the cause really the Travis, Travis never told me anything about your spiritual life. He only told me that you like coffee. So it's kind of a, um, that's what you brought me in for. Was the, yeah. That's all that's Travis really wanted to talk about today on. was coffee. But, um, <laughs> I came into this whole podcast going, I don't know what we're going to do. I'm going to with Travis. But, um, but let, yeah, let's talk coffee. So today we yeah. did have, we did have a, um, Poorly roasted pine curtain coffee from single origin, single estate from Brazil. Too earthy, I think. As it cooled, though, it did get better. It got better, it but did. it wasn't as bitter, which was nice. But I do think that it needed to go a little bit longer into that roast. So I'll have to roast you a fresher bag than that. We'll leave this one in here for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave it for the, the guppies. Um, so talk about talk about your coffee. Like, yeah. you, you are like, I we call ourselves coffee snobs and, and proudly like we're not, we don't sit there and go, Oh um, yeah. We're, I mean, we're like, yeah, we enjoy good coffee. We're not fans of trash coffee. So what got you into that? Yeah. So um, I actually, so I worked at um, camp Choye in Livingston. This Mm -hmm. was uh, whenever I was in college and I got there and uh, a buddy of mine, Ethan, uh, Ethan father, shout out to him. Uh, wherever you are <laughs> no joke i literally yeah. saw him on the side of north street yesterday and that was the first time i'd seen him in like yeah. three years yeah I, I ran into him at java jacks not too long ago um was, well i'll say that was a few months back but uh no so I, w- I was there and you know i had this cabin of kids i think it was maybe like fifth or sixth graders uh and i was tired i mean late nights early mornings and i'm probably looking pretty rough and he comes over with this big thermos and he slides it over and he's like you're welcome I was like, what is this? He's like, it's camp coffee. It's terrible. I was like, well, why? He said, because it's going to get you through the summer. And I was like, (laughs) I did not drink coffee at that point. And I saw it come out of the vending machine. And it was like the things that had the fill, the, the bags that you put in. Yeah. It's like the cold bag and it mixes with hot water. It's like a concentrate. Coffee concentrate, but it's it's like, I don't even know what it is. Like, it's probably a chemical. Like it's probably, I think it was like like five years off my life. It was like a Dewey Ebert Uh, Ebert or something like that. That's what we used to have up in DFW. It's like motor oil. Um, (laughs) Might've been. Might have had some in there. Uh, and so he's like slides it over and I'm like, oh, this is awful. He's like, yeah, but if you can drink this, then when summer's over, I'll buy you a really great cup of coffee and then it'll change your world. I was like, 
uh, okay. So I started drinking this terrible sludge stuff that was, you know, like parts hot water shot through this bag of concentrate that was just awful. And so anyways, <laughs> we get done with the summer and we go to Java Jacks and uh, he, uh, this is funny because I was listening to one of y'all's episodes where Travis talking about coffee origins and he brought up the Mexican Pluma from Java Jacks. Uh, that is what got me started on specialty coffee <laughs> is because, I, yeah, yeah, you, uh, you've changed the world. And so, uh, <laughs> and so I come back and, uh, he's like, okay, here, Chemex. I didn't even know what a Chemex was. I thought, you know, it looked like some kind of science beaker thing. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty like, much. oh, it looks pretty cool. And, uh, he's like, Mexica Pluma, you're welcome. And so he ordered me one and I poured it. And he's just like sitting there looking at me across the table and his like eyes are, you know, <laughs> like stretched. And he's like, okay, what do you think? And I was like, this is amazing. Like just straight black. No, I was like, like, what was that stuff I was drinking? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and it just opened this whole new world. So like that was in, I don't know, uh, like, well, I guess August we were coming back to school and, uh, right when my wife and I got married, this was a, probably a year or so later. Um, year or two later, I bought a Chemex finally because I was like, I wanted one. I would just go to Java Jacks all the time and get pour overs. Like, that's what I did at that point forward. And so, got a Chemex. And uh, I said this earlier, but I took a Pyrex, uh, Pyrex <laughs> four cup measuring cup, filled it with water, put it in the microwave, super dangerous, and uh, would just put my finger in it and say, Oh, yeah, that's hot enough, I think. <laughs> and uh, would just dump it and use that as a kettle. Uh, the And I don't know if you've seen the spout on those things, but uh, it's less graduated and uh, pronounced than the Chemex spout. It's just like, I mean, basically, I was just dumping water, hot water into grounds and trying to make it make coffee. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was in my mind, I was like, you know, not bad because uh, <laughs> considering uh, <laughs> considering what I'm working with. And uh, I just, it went uphill from there and only got better because now I uh, I only drink light roast and uh, I have a nice grinder. I do Chemex still, but it's uh, with a kettle that actually pours like it's supposed to and not, uh, I heat it up to proper temperature and uh, not in the microwave. And so, uh, yeah, make my own recipes for Chemex and whatnot and experiment and yeah. it, I always thought it was so funny when I, when I was first really diving into it. Cause I think even before Travis came, I, I did a lot with coffee, but I never like measured anything. I was like, man, this would be all right. You know, just kind of yeah, like, I didn't measure either with, uh, with, yeah, uh, I would just scoop, I'd be like, this scoop work, you know? Um, but I think the interesting part for me was, um, like when you kind of get into it a little bit more and you start realizing, Oh, like you can kind of pull this out or you can extract this out. You can do this. And, uh, but when Travis kind of came on, he's like, Oh, well, I, I have a recipe and I measure this, this, this. And I was like, a recipe it's water <laughs> coffee. and coffee like that you just put water in the grounds and that's <laughs> all about the time, recipe man. like you're not adding anything yeah. else to it you know and uh but that's when we really started experimenting with a lot of different things um which i think in turn also helped me kind of define you know what do i want to roast when it comes to coffee like what am i yeah. trying to shoot for uh, what am i listening for what am i trying to do and i used to do all my roasting from a uh, old popcorn popper I've I think done that, that before. Was a, that was my actually my yeah, yeah, that was my best roast. I <laughs> yeah. think uh, you know I use yeah. I use kind of an electric drum roaster, like smaller dr- like personal size drum roaster now. But I think for me, the hot air roasting is really that fluid bed. I just not having it turning around, but just having yeah. it like 
to me, I think that's a better cup of yeah. coffee personally. So I have roasted coffee once when I was doing a campus ministry at OU, my boss who planted the intervarsity chapter there. Cause that's who I, I was uh, on staff with. Um, and <laughs> he's like, Hey man, you want to come roast some coffee? I was like, Oh, that sounds cool. Cause I was into like, you know, third wave coffee and stuff. Yeah. He's like, we're going to use a popcorn popper. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, okay. Uh-huh. And so we came and did it and uh, I roasted some and it was, I mean, it was like the oil and the sheen. I mean, it was so like past second crack. Like it was oh, so yeah. dark. Get to and, the uh, but I gave it, I tried to, to brew it in the Chemex. I was like, oh, this is awful. It tastes just like, like it's almost like that stuff I had at Joe. <laughs> Maybe it is a little better, but uh but I gave it, I packaged it up and gave it to my mother-in-law because uh, she was like, I like dark roast. And she loved it. Yeah. And it was like, she's like, this is amazing. And I was like, well, I guess I got Folgers and Starbucks beat. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but it was fun. Um, but, you know, my, my coffee snobbery is big because for my wife and I's seven-year anniversary back in October or, yeah, last month, it's, man, it's it's been a yeah. long couple of weeks, but uh, we built our whole trip basically around going to Onyx headquarters. Uh, <laughs> yes, we did, and we went three times. And uh, while we were there, and awesome. I may have Tell got them about that. Yeah, the one from Panama. I got a Panama Gesha El Burro that uh, cost, so expensive. Cost me twelve dollars for a mug. And it was wonderful. <laughs> the, it was the, so good. That's the only reason yeah. I've not pulled trigger on buying any of that because it's yeah. so expensive per pound. Yeah. And if you screw that up, yeah. you just wasted out. a whole lot of money. Yeah, I did. Like, the most out. expensive coffee that I had brewed was a Gesha from Colombia. That was pretty sweet. But then I also had another uh, Colombian coffee the um, from the Immaculata Farms, the uh, Eugenoides, which is the, uh, it's a, so it's a, what what you call it, a, um, I'm trying to think of the word. I can't think of it right now. But anyway, it's before Arabica. So it's a progenitor. It's a it's yeah, the yeah. one that goes, uh, that and another bean led to the Arabica species that most coffee is today, which right. that branches off in a total, I mean, the, the species tree is crazy. But Eugenoides is one of the oldest coffees out there. Like, And so uh, an Immaculata Farms in Columbia resurrected it. And so I got some from Onyx. And it was like 40, 50 bucks for like three, four ounces. Like it was insane. Oh, beans, like insane. And, uh, but I brewed some for Travis and it was, it was such an, like incredible experience of coffee. Probably the strangest that I've ever had. Yeah. It didn't even taste like coffee because it was purple when it brewed. It was like this purplish color and it tasted super, super sweet, like a sweet cola, had some like maybe some watermelon type like notes on it. It was weird. Yeah, it was like a watermelon tea. Yeah, it was so weird. <laughs> it was so weird. And it and it, as it as it cooled, somehow it got even sweeter. Yeah. And yeah. it was we were. I mean, it was literally like drinking yeah. sweet tea by the end. It was like, yeah. How is this like yeah. biologically yeah. possible? So that's probably the coolest coffee experience that I've had that well, out of my own brewing. It's funny you talk about that because I I for a while there during the summer I downloaded the audible book of uh, James Hoffman's World Atlas of Coffee. <laughs> nice. And uh, I would listen. I'd make the kids listen to that while we were just doing stuff during the day. <laughs> like my wife would be doing like work, and I was like, the kids would be just sitting there like, "What are we gonna do, Dad?" I'm like, "You're gonna listen to this book about coffee with me because." and you can play with whatever toy you want type thing. Nice. And, um, but yeah, he talks a lot about that, about this, this push now to resurrect some of that, 
original coffee that's yeah. out there. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing Eugenoides right. Like it's probably, it's, yeah. I'm sure you'd do better than I did. Um, I can guarantee nobody listening <laughs> yeah, to this is yeah. going to be like, that's there, wrong. Yeah. There's that one person yeah. out there that's going to be like, mm, nope. you didn't say that right. Eugenoides. People think that Charles and I are super big coffee snobs and I guess compared to the like public we are, but yeah. For this for, church, for, those listening, for this church, we are. Yeah. Yes. My, my Blake co- is the only person that I know that is more into coffee than we are. Yeah. Yeah. Probably so. And I wrote that I know personally. It's so bad though because my coworkers will sometimes bring like Sonic drinks and stuff to my other coworkers. And my old teaching partner, she the other day she saw her in a hall, and I just looked at her. I didn't even say anything, and she said, "Well, I would bring you stuff, but you're just a coffee snob, so I don't know what to get you." <laughs> I, like, tell, I like water. I mean, I, I, like, do, I am still I mean, made I am of human. water. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind a cherry coke every now and then. Yeah, it's to me, coffee is just a fun, and we always talk about it for us. Coffee is a great segue into conversations and to life into ministry and i think that's what we use it a lot for that yeah uh i think when we did our little thing there at S- at the bsm for us it was more about just getting to meet people and yeah. getting to at least help them see that there's a whole other side to this and experience to this than what they may know and how they can they can even do it themselves on a simpler level yeah um so i think that there's that reality too that people don't understand that you can do this like you can have decent coffee and and it doesn't have to be extravagant but it, yeah. it can be better um yeah. there's a spectrum and i mean what's cool about it is too is like it's talking about disciplines going back to that it's like this is one of my disciplines and routines is it takes me from start to finish by the time i heat up my water and i grind my beans and all that stuff you know it's about a 15 minute process to make a make a pot of chemex or you know if i'm doing kalita or whatever um you know if i do two kalitas because sometimes i just like to mix it up it'll take like 20 minutes but yeah. that's 20 minutes out of my day that I know I wake up earlier, I make my coffee, I sit down and read scripture. And there's something about having the word in front of me and having a really good cup of coffee that to me is it's just relaxing. It's yeah. peaceful. Even the process of slowing down when, you know, yes, I have, you know, $500 worth of equipment that I'm making my coffee <laughs> yeah. out of. But when you think about it, it's like I don't have a machine that I'm running it through. I'm, you know, I'm mechanically doing it by hand and there's something about when everything right now is instant and everything right now is so fast paced that slowing down and it actually takes intention and thought to make mm-hmm. my coffee. There's something about that. Cause even my wife and I were talking about this last night. Uh, people don't slow down and think anymore. <laughs> like no. we don't just slow down and think it's like, if I have to think like I don't watch it in my students, it's gotten worse over the years of just like the ability to just think because it's, we're just so inundated with stuff all the time. So it's almost in a way it's in a way it is in a way it's not because it's like I'm spending all this money on this really good coffee gear that's like very much the culture and then but there's the other side of it that's pushing against culture that's like no I'm gonna slow down I'm gonna mm-hmm. slow down I'm gonna take time and attention and I love that and and to the conversational piece it's like I can make a good cup of coffee but if it's only me drinking it it's like oh it's good but it could be better but I can make a cup that maybe be not as good, but have it with somebody and like, Oh, this is a good cup of coffee. (laughs) It's it's something about the community side of it that I love. I did have a church member ask if we could do like a cupping or tasting. Uh, So we need to figure out a time to do that and like invite people into this process. We could do a cup. We've talked about doing a, we've talked about for a long time doing like a live broadcast or a, a, a podcast where we're just sitting there with a room full of people and doing different parts of this, but there's no telling if we'll, ever have the time 
I think that might complicate it too much, but we could just go set up in the fellowship hall with <laughs> a whole bunch of V60s and show people how to make pour overs. It'd be easier to do it in the foyer. Yeah. We already have hot water on tap. That'd be very yeah, sweet. True. Anyway. Well, we're about an hour in, and so um, maybe a little bit more than that, but that's okay. Um, so any other thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, anything else that you want to ask or be a part of or you want to tell him or... No, Pat, I've figured out an ending yet. Haven't figured so, out an ending. Cool. The end. <laughs> we did. That's the hardest part for us. I think we we're okay once we get started. We're okay in the middle, and then when we get to the end, we're like, "Well, how do we finish this out?" Yeah. It's like, well, there's really no telling. The conversation could keep going in a lot of different directions, but we appreciate you uh, spending some of your time off with us this morning. And yeah, absolutely, it's a pleasure. Yeah, first podcast. So, well, hopefully, it's not <laughs> your last because I think that I think if you could even get, you know. I think that there's going to be more conversation around that. And I think a lot of, a lot of churches are moving in that direction. The more that we get into our cultural climate and the more that we see that our, even our time, I think is getting taken away from us and is escaping us. I think you're going to see a resurgence of people wanting to recover a lot of that. And anytime that people want to recover things, yeah. um, it, it can potentially fall in a good direction. So well, guys, we're going to close it up, I think, for the week on this one. But if you've got any questions, comments, concerns, please feel free to uh, connect with us during this week. Let us know some things. And if you've got some content you want us to talk about, we're not experts, but we'll do our best. And uh, we'll either make you smarter or dumber. So um, feel free to... Guaranteed. Yeah, guaranteed. You will be changed. You will be, <laughs> <laughs> you will be formed. Um, so anyways, uh, thanks for tuning in this week. And we hope that you have a blessed one.